welcome to Tax Vibe, a fresh new podcast by the Tax Institute. I'm Robin Jacobson, the Senior Advocate at the Tax Institute, and your host of today's podcast. We love the vibe of tax, and here at the Tax Institute, we do tax differently. I'll be chatting with some of the tax profession's great thought leaders who will share valuable and practical insights you may not hear every day. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Vibe. Today, in this special post-budget edition of Tax Vibe, I will discuss the key tax and superannuation measures announced as part of the federal budget 2021-22. Usually the federal budget is delivered on the second Tuesday in May, but due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the limited parliamentary sittings, the federal budget for last year was delivered on the 6th of October. Now this year, back on track, it was the second Tuesday in May, so the 11th of May is when the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, delivered the budget. The figures are still eye-watering. They are enormous. But certainly there's been an improvement in the deficit figure that was forecast for 21-22, as well as 2021. Now, if we go back to 2021, the government was predicting a deficit of $213 billion. That's now been improved to an expected deficit of $161 billion, so an improvement of around $50 billion. For 21-22, a deficit of $106 billion has been forecast. Now, it's going to take many, many years, and no one can predict exactly how many before these deficits are going to dwindle down and we get back in the black again with the surplus. Certainly, the debt figures are topping now $900 billion, and within a year or two, they're expected to be over $1 trillion. The budget was, in a sense, of a reasonably predictable one, a safe one, And bear in mind, we're a year out from an election. So when you look at the measures, there was a lot of good news, which was either formally announced by the government ahead of the budget or which was leaked to the media. And often on budget night, we expect to open up the budget papers and and find the hidden gems, the bad news or the things that are lurking. But really this year, there weren't many of those. And when we look at the measures, many of them are good news. Many of them are cleaning up measures that should have been cleaned up a long time ago. There is certainly consultation required for a few of them. And in some respects, they are good measures, but some of them don't go far enough. So let's take a deeper dive into some of the measures that were announced last week, starting with the individual tax measures. Now, for starters, there is no change to the already legislated Stage 3 personal income tax cuts that will proceed on the 1st of July 2024. Now, this will result in a reduction of the 32.5% to the 30% rate and an increase in the threshold for the top marginal rate up to $200,000. Now, this will have the effect of completely removing the 37% tax rate, what we would regard as genuine tax reform. What has got the most media attention is the low and middle income tax offset. Now, this was originally going to run for four years, but it was going to end with the introduction of the stage two tax cuts. They were originally going to be delivered 1 July 2022, but you may recall that they proceeded with effect from 1 July 2020. So that would have cut short the low and middle income tax offset or the LAMITO by two years. But in last year's budget, the government said they would extend that for a further 12 months to include 2021. In this year's budget, they've announced that they will extend the Lomito by a further 12 months to include 21-22, putting it back on a full four-year footing. Now, do bear in mind that the Lomito, which is a maximum of $1,080, is a tax offset. That is, it is taken off your tax payable. 
Bear in mind that this means it's not delivered through the PAYG withholding system. It is delivered through lodging your income tax return and upon assessment of that return. So you're not going to see any cash in your pocket until after 1 July 2022. That is after you've lodged your 22 income tax return. There are also some non-tax measures that relate to childcare reform. So very broadly, there's going to be an increase in the maximum childcare subsidy where you have a second or subsequent child. Some consider these conditions may be too restrictive because the deal is you must have a second or later child. Both of them need to be under five years of age and in childcare. So if you've spaced your children too widely apart, then you may not be eligible for the increase in the subsidy. There's also been an announcement that the government will remove the exclusion for the first $250 of self-education expenses that are deductible. Now, this is a long overdue reform, and it harks back to a legacy from the 1960s and 1970s, where we originally had what was called a concessional deduction, and then later under Whitlam, it became a effectively a rebate or a tax offset in today's language. Now, the rebate of $250 for self-education expenses was removed around 1983, introduced, as I said, back in the, the 1960s and 1970s. But even though they removed the rebate around 1983, the first $250 of self-education expenses being non-deductible remained in place. And really, there's been no place for it all these years. So it's good to see that this will be removed. It's something that has uh, involved additional compliance costs and unnecessarily so. And it's just been one of those little annoying parts of the tax law. So good to see that this will be removed. And that means you won't have to take off the first $250 as being non-deductible when making a claim for self-education expenses. There are a range of superannuation measures. Firstly, the work test. Now, this is currently required to be satisfied by someone aged 67 to 74, where they're making voluntary contributions. And it broadly requires you to work a certain number of hours in a particular period in order to demonstrate that you're still in the workforce. The government has announced that expected to be from 1 July 2022, we're going to see the removal of the work test for those aged 67 to 74, but only for voluntary non-concessional and salary sacrifice concessional contributions, the work test will still be required to be satisfied for someone making personal deductible contributions who is aged 67 to 74. So that's one of these measures where it is good to see this development, but it doesn't go far enough. And it means that people who are earning investment income who wish to make personal deductible contributions will still need to satisfy the work test where they're aged 67 to 74. Another positive announcement in the budget is the removal of the current threshold of $450 of income below which an employer does not have to provide employer super support under the superannuation guarantee regime. Now we currently have this threshold so if you earn less than $450 in a month you don't receive any SG contributions from your employer. Perhaps it harks back to a day when it was difficult and, and a nuisance to pay by cheque a very small amount on a very small amount of income. But in this era of electronic payments, Superstream and single touch payroll, there's really no excuse for lower income earners not receiving employer super support. Now, this will benefit low income earners, predominantly women who make up 63% of this sector. Now, there are some concerns that this will increase costs for some employers, particularly those who might have large numbers of low-income earners on their books. But 
this is an equity issue and I think it is fair and reasonable that everybody who is working receives employer super support, regardless of their income amount. Just to note, there doesn't appear to be anything in the budget that changes the age for SG. So in other words, if you're less than 18 years of age, there is still no obligation for an employer to make compulsory super on behalf of those younger workers. Another superannuation measure relates to downsizer contributions. Now, this is where you must have continuously held an ownership interest in a dwelling for at least 10 years. And when you sell that dwelling, a full or partial main residence exemption is available. So broadly, you're selling your home. Now, currently, the law allows you to contribute up to $300,000 into super. And this is not subject to your non-concessional contributions cap. It is a different limit, but you need to be at least 65 years of age to make a downsizer contribution. Under the budget measure, this age will be reduced down to 60 rather than 65. Another rule relating to superannuation relates to that of residency. Now, this actually has two parts to it. There is currently a rule that says if you're a superannuation fund, you're only a complying fund and able to access all the concessional benefits if you are a resident fund. And if the control of the fund becomes that of an overseas trustee, then you can actually end up with a non-complying status on the fund. There is a temporary absence rule for trustees, and this allows them to be temporarily overseas for up to two years without affecting the complying status of the fund. Now, due to COVID-19 displacements, in other words, there are a lot of people who are stuck overseas at the moment, beyond their control and unable to get back to Australia, the government is sensibly going to increase this two-year period up to five years. This means if a trustee is temporarily overseas for up to five years, then they will not affect the complying status of their fund. Now, the second limb relates to what is called the active member test. Under the current law, if 50% or more of the member benefits relate to non-resident members who are active, then again, you can end up with a non-complying fund. Now, an active member is someone who's actively contributing to the fund. Again, in this COVID environment, there may be Australian superannuation fund members overseas who would like to keep contributing to their fund. But if they do so, it can result in the fund becoming non-compliant, particularly where they're making up more than half of the member balances. So the government has announced that they will completely remove this active member test. And this means that members of funds will be able to continue to contribute to their fund while they're overseas. It's a very sensible measure. Now, both of these changes relate only to self-managed funds and small APRA-managed funds. Obviously, the larger funds tend not to have a problem with the trustees being located overseas or more than half of the members being overseas either. So this is much more an issue for self-managed funds and small APRA funds. Into a range of business measures. And two measures that were announced in last year's budget, the temporary full expensing of depreciating assets and loss carryback for corporate tax entities. Both of these measures will be extended for another year to 22-23. So this means that a business will be able to buy an asset between the 6th of October last year and June 30, 2023, as long as it is used or installed ready for use by June 30 of 2023 and fully expense the cost of that asset. Now, this is only available to businesses with an aggregated turnover of less than $5 billion. There is no limit on the cost of the asset. 
that I do want to point out that the car limit still applies. So this does not mean that you'll be able to write off your $400,000 Maserati in full that remains subject to the car limit. Loss carryback means that you will be able to claim back a, a loss effectively in the 21, 22 or 23 company tax return in respect of tax paid on profits as far back as the 18, 19 income year. So both of these are positive measures, but it would also be good to see these as a permanent feature of the law. There's also been a, a proposed change to employee share schemes. Now, we're not going to see this for at least another year, but what it will do is remove the taxing point where the employee ceases employment. So that will mean that where there is an employee share scheme interest, being a share or an option to acquire a share in an eligible company, the tax will be deferred until the earliest of the remaining taxing points. And this will be where there's no risk of forfeiture and no restrictions on disposal or 15 years. There's also been a raft of announcements in relation to the digital economy strategy. This is all about investing in our digital future and trying to encourage businesses to invest in innovation in Australia. So for the first time, we're going to see a new digital games tax offset, a 30% refundable tax offset, where a business spends at least $500,000 on qualifying Australian games expenditure. There'll also be the ability to self-assess the effective life of intangibles. Now, this relates to patents, registered designs, copyright, and other intangible assets like in-house software. Now, this is actually a rehash of an attempt around 2017-2018, where the government attempted to introduce measures to allow taxpayers to self-assess the effective life of intangible assets. The measure made its way into a bill before Parliament, but the Senate ultimately amended the bill to remove that schedule, and the measures never proceeded. So finally, this will allow the treatment of intangible assets to be equivalent to the treatment of tangible assets. So that means taxpayers will have the choice to either self-assess or use the statutory rates that are set out in the tax law. For the first time, we're also going to have the introduction of a patent box. Now, this means that income derived from Australian patents in the medical and biotechnology sectors will be taxed at the concessional corporate tax rate of 17%, rather than the current rate of either 25% if the company is a base rate entity or otherwise 30%. Now, this is about encouraging investment in the medical and biotechnology sectors. And it will be interesting to see whether the so-called success of this measure will extend to other sectors. So if it does well, we could expect it to perhaps be extended to the clean energy sector. It does mean that some companies could be potentially subject to two different tax rates. But certainly this is an important and a welcome measure and is not inconsistent with some other treatments in OECD countries around the world. There'll also be a broadening of powers for the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Currently, where a debt is being disputed within the AAT, an entity or a taxpayer has to apply to the court to pause or modify any debt recovery action. Now, this can be very timely and costly, and so it's a very welcome measure that small business entities, those with an aggregated turnover of less than $10 million, will be able to apply to the Small Business Taxation Division of the AAT to pause or modify any debt recovery action by the ATO rather than applying to the federal court. There are also some proposed measures in relation to international tax. The first of these relates to corporate tax residency. 
The government announced in last year's budget that it would make some changes to determining whether a company that is incorporated outside Australia is taken to be a tax resident. And the measures, when they're in place, will set out that a company is a tax resident if it has a significant economic connection to Australia. And this is where its core commercial activities are undertaken in Australia and its central management and control is in Australia. Now, the government announced in this year's budget that the measures announced in last year's budget would also be extended to include trusts and corporate limited partnerships. So we await the detail of this and there will certainly be some consultation before the measures are put in place. As far as individual tax residency is concerned, there's been a review that was concluded by the Board of Taxation in 2019. They recommended the introduction of a bright line test to replace the various tests that we currently have in place. Now, a bright line test means that essentially a line is drawn in the sand, and if you're one side of it, you would be a resident, and if you fall the other side of it, you would be a non-resident for tax purposes. Under the proposed bright line test, if an individual is in Australia for at least 183 days in any income year, they would be a tax resident. Now, you may say, well, we already have a 183-day rule at the moment, and that is true, but it only applies for people who are inward bound. That is people from overseas coming into Australia. You can't apply the 183-day rule for someone who is outward bound. So this bright line test would apply to both inward and outward bound individuals. A secondary factor test would be available where someone doesn't satisfy the bright line test. And this would rely on four so-called objective factors. That is the right to reside here, looking at citizenship or permanent residency, Australian accommodation, where your family is based, and any Australian economic connections. Now, this could well be an area where further guidance is needed, maybe by the ATO through law companion rulings or a practical compliance guideline, or through judicial guidance from the federal court. It would be interesting to see whether this does in fact simplify it or whether just we're replacing one set of complex tests with another set. They're also going to be updating the list of exchange of information sharing agreements, which are agreements we typically have with non-OECD countries, and a further six countries are going to be added to this list. Now, there was a range of other tax measures, and I'm not going to go through these in any detail, but just to mention, there'll be additional refunds of excise, so increased tax relief for small brewers and distillers. Changes were made to the Home Builder Scheme, which has been successful beyond all expectations, but it has meant there have been delays, particularly getting council approval, which is required to undertake construction. So an additional 12 months, a total of 18 months, will now be permitted for commencing construction of home builder contracts. And that is those entered into from the 4th of June 2020 to the 31st of March 2021. Other budget measures include some proposed improvements to MyGov, a review of the venture capital tax concessions, and a range of technical changes to the TOFA rules, the taxation of financial arrangements, collective investment vehicles, and in particular, corporate collective investment vehicles, and offshore banking units. There is also a range of many other non-tax measures, but of course, there is much information available in the budget papers and across the government websites on these. So all in all, it was a good budget. There are lots of positive measures. It could have been a lot worse, but certainly there was no mention in any of the budget papers about holistic tax reform. 
The Tax Institute has embarked on a project over the past 12 months. We are pushing towards what we are titling the Case for Change, a document that we will present to the federal government that will set out irritants and issues and challenges with the current tax system and suggested options for reform. Now, integrity is one of those areas that is considered to be stifling the efficient operation of the law by many. I think, yes, we need integrity measures, but we've also got to get the balance right. And the complexity and the level of expertise that is needed to navigate your way through the tax law is making it so difficult for people to, to get it right. And if they do get it right, it's costing them so much to comply. So we will continue to push for holistic tax reform. We didn't expect in the budget that there would be an undertaking to amend the law in various respects to bring in tax reform measures. But it would have been nice for the government to indicate that they are at least committed to a tax reform process. So we remain committed to this process. And in the months and the years and ahead, we will continue to advocate for genuine tax reform to make sure that the tax and the superannuation system works better for everybody. Thanks for listening to this special post-budget edition of Tax5. For a comprehensive report on the budget and how it impacts Australia, as well as other supportive resources, head to info.taxinstitute.com.au forward slash federal budget 2021 or follow our socials for the links. To keep up to date with Tax5, be sure to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, follow the Tax Institute on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can join the conversation on our member-only community forum at community.taxinstitute.com.au. Not a member of the Tax Institute? Join a collective voice of 15,000 practitioners at the heart of the profession and find out what the best tax professionals have in common. Join today and you'll have an all-access pass to the tools, resources, and opportunities that make our members some of the most successful tax practitioners around. For more information, visit membership. You can also contact us by emailing taxvibe at taxinstitute.com.au. We look forward to you joining us next time.